for our text this morning. We'll take just one verse. We'll look at Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. This is a question. Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Of course, we know the answer to that question is no one. There is no one like our God, particularly when it comes to the holiness of God. Psalm 99.9 also tells us, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. God's holiness is a theme that is repeated throughout the scriptures. It's really the central theme uh, when God describes his attributes to us. The very main thing is that God is a holy God and all the characteristics or attributes that we read about God are a result of his holiness. So we know God is holy. The definition for holy is perfect in goodness and righteousness, pure. God is holy. The Word of God tells us God is holy in his actions. Psalm 18.30 says, His way, as for God, his way is perfect. God is incapable of making mistakes. His way is perfect. We may agree or disagree with God's ways or the way he chooses to do things. We may even be disappointed at times, but it doesn't change the fact that God is perfect and his ways are perfect. He's perfect in his actions. God is perfect in his judgment. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says, He's a God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. So again, God's judgments are perfect. God's goodness and mercy as well as his justice are all attributes of his holiness. We know the Bible tells us God hates sin. We know as Jesus was bearing the sins of the entire world on the cross, it got so bad that God himself had to turn away. He couldn't look on sin because of his holiness. He hates it. He can't bear to look at it. That is the part of God's righteousness and judgment. And yet we also know that God and his love and his mercy and compassion provided a remedy, provided Christ to die in our place. You know, God is perfectly balanced. You hear about people that live balanced lives, and that's a good thing, but God is perfectly balanced. He's a God of righteous judgment. We know that, but he's also a God of love and mercy and compassion. But these are all part of God's holiness because God is holy. It would make sense then that God wants his people to be holy as well. You know, in spite of what some people like to think nowadays, God's main purpose for mankind is not to make him happy and healthy and wealthy and prosperous. That's a popular message. It's not backed up by Scripture. However, we do know that God wants to make his people holy. God's main purpose for mankind and design for mankind, he wants to take sinners and turn them into saints. God wants his people to be holy. He wants us to bear his image and his likeness, and we can only do that when we're holy because God is holy. 
Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says that the Lord wants to present us holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16 tells us, As he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy, for God is holy. You know what? That is not a suggestion. That is a commandment. Hebrews 12, 24 says, Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord, so we can see how important it is to be holy. Well, how do we become holy? Certainly this is not something we do for ourselves. Of course, we know the experience of sanctification can help and and will make us holy. That word sanctify means to make holy, purify, consecrate, dedicate, cleanse, and to separate. Bible also tells us, be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, it's not referring to human perfection. None of us will ever be perfect in a human sense. We make mistakes. We make errors in judgment. Sometimes we maybe react in a way we wish we hadn't. Um, We're susceptible to the things that life brings our way because we're human. We're not humanly perfect, but to be morally and spiritually perfect to be sanctified is to have a heart that wants to please God. It's pure in our motives and our desires to please the Lord, and that's what God would have us to be. Well, how do we become sanctified? Well, of course, we know, first of all, we have to be saved, have to have that old uh, sin forgiven, that thing that separates us from the Lord, uh, that sin that has to be taken out of our lives. We have to be forgiven, have to be cleansed, Once we're saved, of course, we're in a position where God can sanctify us wholly. There's some differences we know between justification or salvation and sanctification. Justification deals with the guilt of sin. When we're saved, that guilt of sin is removed. But sanctification deals with the nature of sin. There's a difference Brother Ray Crawford said one time that the man who's saved, truly saved and converted, says that old man of sin is nailed to that cross with Jesus. That old man will squirm on that cross. He'll stay there as long as he's walking in the light of the gospel, but when we're sanctified, that old man of sin is put to death. So that struggle, that internal struggle, uh, that Nature that would lead us or that propensity towards sin is taken out when we're sanctified. When we're saved, man is restored to favor with God. When we're sanctified, we are restored into the image and likeness of the Lord. You know, man can be forgiven and saved without being sanctified, but man cannot be holy without being sanctified. Holiness really is, it's more than just an experience. Holiness is more than a movement. We've heard of different holiness movements. Holiness is more than an organization. We consider ourselves a holiness organization, but it's so much more than that. You know, holiness for the serious Christian is a way of life. Someone once said, the holiness that God gives, you know what? It is impartation not imitation. You cannot pretend to be holy. 
Satan can counterfeit a lot of things. He can counterfeit the experience of salvation. There's people that walk around with a false profession and they're not living a victorious life. Satan can counterfeit tongues and we've seen or known of fleshly manifestations that are anything but holy, but people somehow convince themselves they've received something from the Lord, but you cannot imitate genuine holiness. That's the one thing the devil can't fake and people can't fake that. Eventually that old carnal nature is going to show itself but God can sanctify us holy it's God imparting that nature all those attributes of Christ uh, the fruits of the spirit it's God imparting those things in our hearts through his love and his grace only God could do that the word of God also tells us to be holy in all manner of conversation that word conversation is more than just the things we say Conversation means conduct. Everything we do, the places we go, the people we associate with, the things we say, uh, our business dealings, organizations we choose to support, causes that we choose to take up. These things, are they holy? Are they glorifying God? These things, it's important. We have to be holy in all manner of conversation. We know that We're made holy at once through instantaneous sanctification. There are those that would teach that this is a process that you grow into sanctification. Well, the Word of God does tell us that we're to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But anyone who's been truly sanctified will tell you it was a definite, instantaneous experience. The Word of God teaches us that. We know that Sanctification is provided through Christ's own blood. Hebrews 13, verse 12, it says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered without the gate. It also tells us that Jesus himself prayed that we might be sanctified. John 17, verses 16 and 17, these were Christ's own words as he prayed shortly before he went to the cross he said they are not of this world even as i am not of this world sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth jesus wasn't praying for sinners here he says they are not of this world he was praying for his disciples his followers praying lord sanctify them make them one sanctify them through thy truth you know the lord wasn't just praying for those disciples he was praying for us today, that included all Christians. He was praying for the future church. In verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So we can see Christ wants his people to be sanctified, holy, set apart for his service. Of course, we know it's the Lord's responsibility and job to sanctify us. So we can't sanctify ourselves In that way, we can present ourselves as living sacrifices. We can consecrate. We can promise the Lord and dedicate our lives to the Lord. But the Lord does the work. However, he does give us a responsibility to maintain holiness. Maintenance is our problem. That's our job. It's our responsibility. In Joshua 3.5, Joshua commanded the people, he says, Sanctify yourselves. Well, that's a commandment. That was something they were to do. Well, we need to sanctify ourselves. How do we do that? 
You know, more than anything, it's choosing actions that are God-honoring, making decisions that will please the Lord, being careful again about what we do, where we go, how we conduct ourselves. 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Come out from among them and be separate, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Also tells us, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Tells us again, be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath light with darkness? So we could see there's a separation there. God calls us to be separate, to be holy. You know, our church put out a series of holiness studies a few years ago, and in one of the studies, there was a little article. It was called the, the Danger of Small Deviations. It says, scientists now say that a series of slits, not a giant gash, is what sank the Titanic. It says that a team of national divers and scientists found the wreckage, and they began to probe that wreckage, and they discovered something interesting. It says the damage was surprisingly small. Instead of the huge gash, they found six relatively narrow slits across the six watertight holds. It says small damage, invisible to most, can sink a great ship. And small deviations from the moral principles of God's word are even more dangerous, for they carry eternal consequences. You know, if we're seeking holiness, we're not going to be compromising in our lives, especially when it comes to the Word of God and the things that we do. Someone once said, it's not the boat in the water that sinks the boat, it's the water in the boat that sinks the boat. Well, it's not the Christian in the world that's the problem, it's when the world gets into the Christian that's when there's a problem. You know, no society, no culture, no individual has ever bettered themselves by lowering their moral standards. It doesn't work. You can't gain upward mobility by heading in a downward direction. You know, and it doesn't work for the Christian. When a child of God begins to compromise, it's trouble for them. It will lead them Eventually, you know what, if you compromise enough, you'll end up like Samson. Think about that story. It was really quite tragic. God called Samson to a very special job. He was an Old Testament type of sanctification. He had been uh, consecrated from the time he was born to lead the children of Israel and to be a judge. But he continually compromised from an early age, and he just continued to compromise until he found himself at a point one day when he was bound by the enemy, and it said he woke up as at other times, and he thought, I'll just arouse myself. And he said he didn't even realize that the Spirit of the Lord had left him. That's what compromise will do. At that time when the enemy is trying to capture us, at that time when we need God's strength the most, God help us, we don't want to compromise. We want the Spirit of the Lord to be there in that time of need. We need to keep ourselves holy and unspotted from the world. You know, we can have homes that are sanctified by the choices we make as parents. I love the parting words of Joshua. There in the last chapter, uh, he laid out a decision to those children of Israel, says, choose you this day who you're going to serve. 
You can serve the gods that were there before the flood on the other side of the flood. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You know, it's a decision, a choice we make, and it's also a responsibility. But we can have homes that are sanctified. Thought of the other account in Exodus chapter 12. This was when the Lord was going to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, and he was just about ready to pass one last plague on the children of Egypt. So he gave the children of Israel commandments through Moses. And Moses called for all the elders of Israel, and he told them to take a lamb and to slay it and to take that blood and strike it on the doorpost and the lintel of their homes. Of course, we know this was a type and shadow of that sacrificial lamb of Christ when he would come, but they were instructed to do that. That was their responsibility. And then he said, you get your families, you get your children, everything, you get them inside that house. And you shut the door and you stay inside that house. And when the destroyer passes through the camp, he says, if I see that blood on your house, I'll pass over you. It was up to them to do what God expected them to do. You know, uh, he told them, if you come out from under that blood or that protection, you're, you're not going to have my protection. You're going to be vulnerable. And so it was their responsibility to obey, to do what God commanded them to do and to keep their families under the blood, to keep themselves under the blood. You know, I imagine they wanted to keep all the doors and windows shut during that time. They didn't want anything to get into that home. Well, you know, we can't control what goes on outside of the home, but we certainly can control what comes into our homes. That is our responsibility as Christians, as parents. If you want homes that are sanctified, we're going to protect them. You know, none of us would even imagine, we wouldn't think of opening our door to an adulterer or a fornicator or a blasphemer or a murderer or a liar or a thief or some kind of sexual deviant. We wouldn't think of opening our homes to somebody like that. We'd say, absolutely not. Yet I wonder how many of those things can sneak in through entertainment choices or things that people allow themselves to watch and hear. God help us. We want to protect our homes. We want our homes to be holy and sanctified. We want them to be a sanctuary. You know, when we come home after day at work, well, my day at work's pretty nice now, but when I was actually working out in the world with ungodly people, it was nice to come home to a place that was a sanctuary, a, a place that was sanctified, and God can help us to have homes that are sanctified. But it's through choices we make. But like Joshua, we could say, God is for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to make choices that honor you. And our conversation, our conduct, the things we do. Satan hates holiness. We know that. You know, the Word of God tells us it's our protection. Again, as long as they were under the blood, they were protected. We want to keep our lives under the blood. Second Chronicles 16.9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The Lord is looking for those whose hearts are perfect toward him, hearts that are holy and sanctified. It says the Lord wants to show himself strong. Isn't that wonderful to know we can have God's strength in our lives? But he's looking for those, again, whose hearts are perfect toward him. But that's our protection. 
We know it's important too. The Word of God tells us we're to keep ourselves pure and unspotted from the world. Christ wants His church to be made up of a holy, purified people. It says He gave Himself for the church that He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word that He might present it to Himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy without blemish. You know, when the Lord returns, and it could be one day very soon, He's returning for a pure, spotless Holy bride. There's an account in the Old Testament about a man by the name of Enoch. I don't know a whole lot about him. The Bible doesn't tell us a whole lot about Enoch. It says he was the father of Methuselah. He was the seventh generation from Adam. But we do know he was a preacher of righteousness. And Jude said he even prophesied about the Lord's return. But I think the most important fact that we learn about Enoch is it tells us in Hebrews 11.5, it says, before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And Genesis says, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. This is a type and shadow of exactly what's going to happen during the rapture. Enoch was walking with the Lord. He was pleasing God. His life was lived in a way that pleased the Lord. And one day, it says, God just took him. He was here one moment, gone the next. That's how it's going to be when the Lord returns. He says he's going to, like the lightning that flashes from the east to the west in the twinkling of eye, that's how quick it's going to be. But he's coming for a bride that's pure, spotless and holy. Brother Chet mentioned Revelations 22.11 last Friday. It says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. You know, that very split second when Christ returns or that very moment when we take our last breath, we are what we are at that point. There's no chances to go back. It's like this song that Brother Ted wrote. There's no chance in eternity to change your destiny. You know, we're not purified and made holy when we get to heaven. That has to be taken care of ahead of time. So important. But God gives us an opportunity to be ready. When the Lord returns, we can be just like Enoch. We can have that testimony that we please the Lord. God can help you today. If you're not saved, you know what? Just offer yourself to the Lord. Pray. You heard Sister Maria. She said once she was willing to sacrifice everything, just give the Lord everything, the Lord saved her. If you're willing to consecrate your life to the Lord, God can sanctify you today, make you holy. He can fill you with the Spirit, empower you for service. Oh, the Lord is coming soon. We want to be ready. You have today. Take advantage of this day. God will bless you. We're going to sing 596, and we would encourage you to pray. God bless you.